Thank you for listening to the Roundtable Consult, where we discuss political and social issues that matter to you from a spiritual, medical, and legal perspective. Join the conversation with your host, Attorney Sonia Madison and Dr. Mark Williams. So hello and welcome to the Roundtable Consult. I am Sonia Madison. I'm joined by my host, Dr. Mark Williams. Are you with us now? Are you still deciding whether or not your voice should be heard? (laughs) I'm with you. I was just letting you have your moment of uh, stardom, Uh, moment of fame, you know. See if you can remember what the name of the show was. (laughs) Our lawyer viewers know that that is not true. You will not miss an opportunity. <laughs> the show why you're called the vocal doctor. Uh, yeah, so, the vocal. So, how, <laughs> yeah. so how you been this week? This warm oh, weather, despite cold weather, just a, God, <laughs> a week have, ago. They, well, I'm glad that the snow is gone. That, that much <laughs> I can say. But I felt it this week because it seems like we made up for all of the people that didn't show up last week. They all showed up this week. Uh, so it was. <laughs> Uh, they they beat my butt this week at the office. Um, I was glad coming home every evening, exhausted. Every <laughs> penny that I had in me, every ounce that was in me was spent. And uh, all I can do is say I'm thankful that it's Saturday. Not just because I get to spend another hour with you on the roundtable <laughs> console. But more importantly, because I get to rest. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I'm sure Doris is so happy that so many patients came in to get all the energy out of you so that she didn't have to do extra work <laughs> when you got home. <laughs> she loves helping to me unwind, helping me to yeah. unwind. She's actually unfortunate. She got her second dose of the uh, COVID vaccine yesterday. And oh, good, good. No, not so good for her, at least. She's oh, not feeling so well, but that'll pass. That'll pass, I'm sure. Uh, was that your reaction as well, or have you not gotten the second doses just yet? I haven't gotten the first dose yet. Oh, okay. What are you waiting on? Don't put me out there like that. <laughs> <laughs> Giving all, by, violating all HIPAA laws right now. <laughs> put me out there like that. So, no, I haven't gotten it yet, but... Um, you know, it's a good question. What am I waiting for? I'm waiting to see a little bit more of the data from those people who have gotten infected. I do, like I've always tell people, I love the science behind the vaccine. I think it makes perfect good sense. Um, the efficacy of it is unbelievable. 95% is crazy for vaccine efficacy. But there's still 5% of the people who uh, take the vaccine and still get infected. I personally want to know what happens to those 5% uh, before I sign up to take it. Are you letting your wife be the guinea pig? Is that what I'm hearing? I'm not letting my wife be that. I'm, you know, I can't let her do anything. She's an independent (laughs) woman. Don't you know this thing, Sonia? How disappointed I am for you. Being the feminist that you are would say that a man would dare let his wife do something. I'm, I'm, I'm offended that you would say such a thing. I'm 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 so glad that you're offended. <laughs> <laughs>
And I can tell you work hard sometimes to do to do that. Occasionally you succeed. But you never succeed with the insults that you throw at me. They never offend me. They just amuse right. they, me. They always land. They always land. I understand. But, but they amuse me so greatly because behind every insult is just a, a, a wellspring of hatred. <laughs> and I recognize that. Well, I would like to take the vaccine. I mean, I think I've seen enough people take it and I'm kind of comfortable with some of the results so far. I mean, at least from my understanding, there hasn't been anyone that's directly died from the vaccine. Now, I know that there was at least one death, but they're saying it, was, it wasn't the vaccine alone. It was a combination of some pre-existing conditions. But, you know, I, I'm kind of like, I, I really want to travel this year. I don't know if I want to spend another year stuck in Atlanta. I mean, not that yeah. Atlanta isn't a great city, but sometimes you need to get away. <laughs> I can understand why you might need to get away from Atlanta. Personally, I say, but... Don't worry, I won't be trucking to Nashville to, <laughs> to tie you out so that Doris doesn't have to. <laughs> appreciate it. You could tire me out real quickly just with a couple sentences and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> no. But it's it's interesting though, but you know, there are people who are quite concerned about the number of adverse reactions, but there is uh, the database run by the Department of Health and Human Services, I believe called the VAERS system. I think it's Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System. And, and this is not a new thing. This is not new to just COVID. This has been in existence for, I think, decades where they actually track what are the adverse effects to vaccines. And um, this is really probably, I think, the enemy of the anti-vaxxers because uh, they actually published the data about what happens with people who have an adverse reactions to any vaccine that's out there and that's been approved for use in America. And what they found is that I think there's like a 0.0015% incidence of adverse reactions to uh, the COVID-19 vaccine. That's 63 million people uh, who have taken the vaccine or I think somewhere around 63 million, maybe a little bit more than 63 million and 0.0015 people had uh, serious adverse reactions. Uh, I think there's probably somewhere like two, between two to five people per million will have an anaphylactic response, which all of the people who administer the vaccines, they're prepared for, they they understand and they know to look for it will usually occur within 30 minutes of getting the vaccination. But this VAERS, I encourage all of our viewers to and listeners to Look it up for themselves and, and get the information uh, for yourself. Don't just believe half of the stuff that you hear on the internet. Frankly, don't just believe the stuff that you hear me saying. Definitely don't believe half of the stuff you hear Sonia say. I was <laughs> going to say that yourself. the countdown began. Five, four, here comes the eight. <laughs> Three, two, one. <laughs> and we got liftoff. <laughs> well, speaking of vaccines, we had this bill, and I think um, Biden has put over $14 billion. I think it was yeah, billion dollars in vaccine distribution to, to be included in this COVID relief bill that the House passed today. I want to say like early this morning. So what are you thinking about that? You think everyone will be vaccinated by May or is that still too? <laughs> well, he is on point. He's, he said he wanted to have 100 million people vaccinated uh, within his first 100 days. He's at 63 million was the last count I knew. And we are what, like 37, 40 days into his um, 
presidency. So he's well on track to be well over a hundred million vaccines given in the first hundred days. And so he'll probably be closer to 200 because they keep ramping up the number of uh, vaccinations. And fortunately they have the infrastructure in place for it. But as you are well aware, we need more money to be able to put into the infrastructure behind administering the vaccine. He called it the vaccinators, you know? You saw the uh, the word, uh, I think it was in his town hall meeting, he got in trouble when he said something because people thought he was saying not a lot of, no, I'm sorry. They claimed that he was saying that when he came into the office that there were no vaccines. And we all know that Joe Biden has a stuttering problem. I think his mind moved a little bit faster than his lips did when he said that because he was saying, you know, uh, the problem is not just that you don't have having the vaccines, what he meant to say after that, what he said after that, it was like, which we didn't have when we came into the office. He was saying we did not have the vaccinator or the system and the infrastructure in place to administer the vaccines and to distribute and administer the vaccines. And so having vaccines is useless if you can't get it into the arms of the American people. So um, all of that to say, yes, he does have <laughs> like $14 billion attributed to that. I saw a comment by um, a tweet that has been circulating all around social media lately, and that is that less than 9% of the COVID relief bill is actually going toward COVID relief. And you know where that came from? That was... Um, <laughs> With <a> Republican. Lauren, <laughs> 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 uh, what is her name? Bobert. Bobert. Bolberg, she's the one who uh, tweeted something like that. And the reason why they criticized it, because I think uh, $160 billion or something of the $1.9 trillion proposal is going toward vaccine, uh, creating the vaccines and getting the vaccine distributed and things of that nature. And so when they look at that, they say only 9% of it is going toward COVID relief and the other 91% is going is is pork come on people really i say i guess everyone has a different definition of covid relief because yeah. i mean so directly we we obviously talked about the vaccines but indirectly i mean a lot of people even if they're not suffering from the virus itself they're still suffering from the effects of the virus so that's what i'm saying i mean you know people are i get like People are going to criticize. But what's so interesting yeah. is, you know, back during the campaign and when they had the presidential debates, particularly the vice presidential debates, they hammered Kamala Harris on whether or not she would take the vaccine. And now here we are and people are still saying, oh, no, you know, this is a Bill Gates thing that's trying to get us to, <laughs> what is it, conserve the numbers of the, of the country or, oh, we don't know if the Democrats, we should trust them and in terms of accepting these vaccines. It's crazy just how political things are. And I, I know that we've been doing a good job this month trying to <laughs> show non-political job. stuff. But today, I mean, we, it's, it's too much going on, particularly with the COVID relief, but also CPAC is happening. Uh-huh. Um, and that is, you know, the conservative conference. I don't can't quite remember what the PAC stands for, but it's the conservative <laughs> conference. And, and a political and action committee, like most of the PACs, probably, I think, are political yeah, action committees, yeah. Conservative yeah. political. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've got Donald Trump resurrecting himself through as being the main speaker. And for he's a CPAC. golden. He's golden <laughs> in the midst. Did you see the statue they had for him? 
I did not, but you know, every oh time I think of God. golden statue, you know, I think of Old Testament idols, oh, and so no that is crazy. They were willing a gold statue of Donald Trump into the center lobby of the CPAC convention. Now, if that doesn't get evangelicals riled up and 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 angered. Uh, about something i don't know what will i mean the mere fact i've seen so many people who who complained that the cross on the bible was upside down when joe biden swore in was sworn in as president and they took so much meaning into what that meant i think somebody had a picture circulating around where um and i don't even know if this was true or not it could have been photoshop but it looked like kamala harris's hand was sitting on top of her purse, which was sitting on top of a Bible. And they made such a big deal about that. And now all of a sudden you rotate a golden statue, a golden image right. of the man who's being worshiped by this conservative evangelical party. And all we hear are crickets. And I'm like, are you serious? I, now, what what the meaning of that is? I don't know that there is anything significant to the meaning, but the imagery of it is certainly not good, especially when you've got people out. Uh, who's the girl? Green, the, your, your congressperson. Uh, Marjorie. From, uh, Marjorie. Yeah, Marjorie Green. Taylor Green. Yeah, <laughs> she's out. You know, telling anybody who basically doesn't bow before Trump is not is not welcome that they got to be out of their mind if they don't if they don't really support him and basically say bow before the golden image and so or at least that's my interpretation of it so i would say you say it doesn't have meaning or, or perhaps they may not i guess intentionally put some meaning but they're to me they are intentionally sending a message by creating a golden statue of a former president who continues and, and will continue during this conference to stand on the position that he was elected the next president and that there was election fraud. And so I, I just, it's so disappointing and disheartening what the Republican party is coming to. I know one of the big conversations, of course, we'll, for our viewers, we'll get back to the COVID relief, but one of the big conversations is, where is the Republican party gonna go from here? You know, one of the, I wanna say it was Liz Cheney, but she came out and, and told or asked CPAC, you know, why are you bringing Donald Trump as your main speaker? I do not think that is a good idea. We're talking about unifying the, the country for him to come back and, and reiterate the message that he's been taunting for the past several months that calls an insurrection on January 6th. And I, I mean, I don't, to me, if you're an American, I don't understand how you don't stand by that. If you're, a if you're a Republican, that's 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 the difference. Well, that's what I'm saying. If you're an American, that's what I'm like. Forget it. parties. But I know. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No. <laughs> the, the reason why the CPAC invited him there was because there's a demand. This whole this is a capitalist society. It's all about supply and demand. If there's a demand for uh, Trump to be in the office, they will supply demand. If and and you know people will bow to that demand. Uh, the the legislators, uh, the congressmen and senators, they're saying, if you want us to kiss the ring of Donald Trump, that's what we will do. It's amazing how Mitch McConnell flipped back and forth, you know, it is, uh, it you is. know the, the shameful delay of the impeachment hearing till after he was um, out of office and then said, well, I can't vote to convict him because he's no longer 
in office and then after While conceding you, that he did in fact <laughs> commit a crime. And then this past week, this past week he's asked if Donald Trump is uh the twenty twenty four Republican nominee, will you support him? Absolutely. He said yes so quick. You're like, what? <laughs> you, you, you don't want to take a second to think about that? <laughs> Do I need to play the clip first before you? <laughs> Unbelievable that somebody who you think is culpable for inciting an insurrection on the Capitol building that you gave a scathing rebuke right after you acquitted him and you will absolutely support him as the nominee. That about says it all. <laughs> yeah, and, and to me, I, I would love to be a fly on the wall behind closed doors because I really cannot imagine that that's truly in his heart that he would want Donald Trump to be the Republican nominee for the next presidential election. But again, what you're doing and saying come publicly, like you said, in front of the camera, it's journalists, it, it's, 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 it's uh, to me dumbfounding. But, but I, I wonder, okay, Republicans, hey, you know Donald Trump lost. And if you think that he, if he comes back, he's going to win again, then truly either you don't believe election fraud happened because it could happen in again, right? Or you're underestimating the fact that so much of the world, because again, he didn't win the majority vote back in 2016, obviously didn't win the majority vote this past election. So much of the world is not supporting him. So are you willing to relinquish your party and whatever leadership that comes with it in the government for the sake of this president, are you guys going to be divided? Are we going to have two separate parties within the Republican Party? That's what I'm kind of curious to see what's going to come of this, is if if Republicans who truly do believe that one, Joe Biden won the election, and two, that uh, Donald Trump did incite an insurrection, if they are going to cut ties once again, because we know a lot of Republicans did vote for Joe Biden, if they're going to cut ties again and, and vote against their party. <laughs> no, I yeah, think it's going to be interesting. I think the expectation is that uh, those who are going to fall in line will fall in line and they'll fall in line quickly. Otherwise, they will be primaried and uh, they will be moved out the way. What will happen if you don't, if you refuse to bow to King Nebuchadnezzar? <laughs> into the fire you'll go and so uh that's what we're witnessing we're witnessing uh the bible being demonstrated right in before our eyes we don't need charleston heston dictating and and, and narrating the bible we're witnessing it live and before our eyes with the amount of hypocrisy and the um fealty of so many people who claim to be christians going toward Donald Trump and the golden image, the golden image. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just... I mean, we laugh now, but it is not, it's really not funny. It's not I funny. mean, you, it's, you've got over 70, what was it, 70 million or 74 million, million people that are was... bowing down to this, I hate to say golden calf, but I mean, that's, that's what's happening here. Hmm. And that's why, I mean, yeah, we laugh, but it's just, it's, it's really disheartening. Because, I mean, if we call America as a, a form of democracy, if you have that strong of a, of a following of, a, of American people, that speaks to what America is. I mean, you can't then deny that that's what our country stands for. Yeah. Well, I think what they're planning on is, and I don't know how you actually 
uh, redistrict. Well, this is what they're planning on. They're planning on, you see all of these uh, Republican legislatures now scrambling to reorganize their election laws to favor, of course, uh, Republican candidates. And so they remove all of the things and all of the accoutrements or, or, uh, and place new barriers in the way for people of color and people of a lower socioeconomic classes who typically will vote Democratic. They were moving all of those things and creating new barriers so that, you know, they, they're counting on being able to rig the vote in their favor, legally rig it, because right. it's within their legal purview <laughs> to be able to change the election. And Georgia laws. is leading that pack, unfortunately. Georgia, Georgia is leading the pack. They've already got legislation that they've uh, put on the pipeline. And I think part of the um, state legislators have kind of signed it and, and approved it to some degree, but limiting the ability for people to do absentee ballots. That's one thing that they've been looking at and they're making tough restrictions on that. And so, I mean, a lot of people only vote for national elections, but hey, your local elections are just as, if not more important and have more of an effect on your daily life than these national um, elections. I know, again, we'll talk about the COVID relief because obviously that's going to affect us to some degree, but I'm just like we're like you're talking about how they're changing these local election laws. And it's for the point of, hey, this isn't about people weren't able to vote. This is about limiting <laughs> or suppressing votes. Yeah. You know, if you don't, if you can't get the majority, you just stack the odds in your favor so that you can actually eliminate the majority. And 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 that's what they're trying to do. Um, I hope and I pray that it doesn't work. What it simply means to me is that uh, those people in those communities that would be disenfranchised and disadvantaged, they have to pretty much rise up and stand up and say, you know what, enough is enough. I understand all of the tactics that you have to try to silence my voice and these things will not work and still get out the vote regardless. You have to just be willing to make sacrifices because you see blatant uh, efforts to silence you. And if you just roll over and let it happen, then so be it. I mean, that's your prerogative if you decide to do that, but just deal with the consequences of it. All right, because everyone loves to complain, but hardly too many people like to be part of the solution. Hey, Ooh. it, it, it is Ooh. what it is, right? It is what it is. Sonia, it's so <laughs> and, you cold. know, and I'm so did you have I'm a bad at, week? Did you have a bad uh, week? It, it has been an interesting week, but I will I like not vent bitter. for that. <laughs> I will not vent for that. I that, think you might need to vent a little, maybe not for our <laughs> listeners. Do so you need to take a pause and go let some things out and, and come back and? <laughs> Hey, as and long as you're still present, co-host. that I can ex- I can exert some of this ritual upon you, you're good. <laughs> I'm ready. Bring it on. Bring it on. <laughs> well, so talking about this COVID package, I mean, first we've got I think fourteen hundred dollars that are set to be to go to everyone who is making at least seventy five thousand. I want to say or 150 if you're a married couple and, and it phases out. So, you know, for, for those that, that make over 75, it doesn't mean you're not gonna get any relief depending on which party <laughs> you could decide if that's COVID relief or not. Um, but it, it does mean that you're not gonna get as much as before. Now, interesting enough, I felt like this was something that was part of the 
other package um, that we did last year that there was some degree a, an income um, barrier, but I feel like still for the most part, and, and granted, I don't know everyone's income, but a lot of people still received it. So I don't know exactly how they're calculating income. I mean, of course you would think it's, it's through adjusted um, income on your tax returns, but but again, I, I'll just say that to say, hey, if you make more than 75, like Dr. Williams, right? This is not, I just, I'm just kidding. I got my check before, <laughs> I'm just so kidding. I'm glad to get my check. <laughs> Hey, there's still hope that you make it in. What do you think, though, about $1,400? Because, I mean, I know for, and don't get me wrong, listeners, I know for some that is a lot of money. But when you're, again, talking about a substantial decrease in finances, I don't know if $1,400 is really going to do anything, uh, you know, even short term, to be honest. I I guess you have to weigh all of this and um, take it all in balance with where does this money come from right now the united states is just making up money it's just like putting <laughs> more just money printing more out paper the, yeah, putting more on the credit card eventually you're going to have to pay that or declare bankruptcy and i don't think that the united states can declare or will declare bankruptcy when you get to make your own money then you, you just can never do that but what that does is it starts to uh erode the good faith of america and 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 we'll have a longer term uh, impact on our credibility when I mean our credit worthiness with other countries. And so you can't just keep making up money. I get that. It would be nice if everybody can get $3,000, you get $3,000, you get 3,000 or 5,000, whatever to help them. But um, that's just not, just not very fiscally sound. I don't think. Um, a lot of he's come under criticism about it being $1,400 because he promised $2,000 or what they were agreeing with before with President Trump was for $2,000. Well, Trump gave you $600, so he came up with the uh, $1,400 to make up the difference. <laughs> so here we go. We got bipartisanship right there. You know, <laughs> Republicans give you $600, Democrats give you $1,400, call it bipartisanship. Uh, yeah. But it's right. for people who make an under $75,000 and as you go, or $150,000 per couple if you're filed, married filing jointly. And then as you go above that, it tapers out. But that's not the only part of it, though. And so we do understand that there's hurting and suffering among people. But they, he also took the child tax credit child from 3000 to 3600 uh, it's an extra six hundred dollars there. <laughs> but you know, for you, for me, I would, and, and I don't know if this is a, I guess, different mentality, but I would prefer the credits over just writing paper and disseminating it out. And I say that to say, I mean, when obviously when we're talking about tax credits, I mean, for our listeners, this isn't thirty six hundred that's coming to your pocket. It's just thirty six hundred you can deduct from um, when you pay your taxes. And so. Uh, so from that standpoint, and, and, and also let's be real, I mean, the, the point isn't so that people can have $1,400. The point is in hopes that the economy then has this boosted trust, stock um, prices start becoming, you know, increasing or whatnot, and just the economy itself looks better. It's not about making sure people have $1,400. I mean, let's, let's, let's make sure there's a, a national, you know, understanding of what what's really trying to happen here see i'm going to disagree with you on that because i think this is very this is not about boosting the stock market because the stock market is reaching record highs and that's why they call it a k-shaped recovery uh those that have 
are actually doing pretty well. Uh, truth of the matter, I looked at my numbers last year, and despite having a really bad second quarter where my uh, revenue and the patients I saw was down about 31%, overall in the year, I pretty much did as, as I did in 2019. And so there are some people who are who are not necessarily impacted by this. And if I look at my 401k, my 401k is still doing pretty well. And so I'm probably one of those people on the upper end of that K-shaped recovery. But there are a lot of people who I am very much empathetic with and sympathetic for um, with that are on the downslope of that thing. And I think this impact, this $1,400 is probably not going to... Um, put a whole lot into the economy, but what it would do is probably go a good ways to end some suffering of those people who are really impacted by it. And it's not just the $1,400, it's as you mentioned It's, it's before, more, it's more. $3,600 tax listeners, credit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll say the rest, and I, but I do want listeners, I want you guys to weigh in. I mean, what, because I, again, I mean, I just think there is, I just think it's really more so about boosting confidence than it is about putting money in people's pocket. But yes, let's, let's keep going on. We've got higher education what, is getting What she wants, listeners, what she wants is for you all to affirm her. So no, I'm just saying, wait in. This is ahead, a discussion. agree with Sonya. <laughs> I mean, that's typically where it happens. I mean, that's typically what, what happens. But, but... <laughs> It makes her but feel don't get better. Your feelings so hurt. somebody don't get please, your feelings hurt. somebody please go ahead and, and, and appease her a little bit. Placate her, please, somebody. <laughs> just, just don't get your feelings hurt, Doctor Williams. Yes, All right, so we got um, public schools get 128 billion. We've got higher education, which I presume is colleges, universities, getting about 39 billion, um, and then we've got coronavirus testing getting. 46 billion. So another COVID relief, if you would define it as more so directly related to the vaccine or related to the virus itself, there's a, another billion coming into trying to find um, testing and contract tracing for um, stopping the virus. So you you agree with that? Putting 46 billion into testing and contract tracing? I think I think it's absolutely necessary. Now, people who will look at the the numbers uh, that are going down, they'll say, well, the reason why the numbers are going down is because you're doing fewer tests. No, we're not doing fewer tests. <laughs> Testing is still up. What's happening is that we're getting smaller positive results, fewer uh, or fewer positive results when we are testing people. And I think right now the positivity rate is like 4.8%. And that's the lowest that it's been since October or so. So we're, we're looking at about... The seven day running average was about 1300 new cases a day. And that's pretty low. I think back in October, which was the last time that it was that low was back in early October, I think is when it was. And it's still decreasing. And other critics will say, well, and, I, and I'm gonna diverge here just a little bit because while we're talking about that testing, uh, there are people who are saying, well, the CDC changes, and you all may have seen these these posts on the internet. And so that's why the reason why I want to address them to help uh, alleviate, alleviate some of, or eliminate some of the disinformation that's out there. They'll say, well, the reason why the positivity rate is lower because the CDC and the WHO changed how, how they do the tests. And they say, when you do the PCR, those who don't know about PCR, PCR will take a little piece of DNA and it will amplify it. So even if you have a small amount of uh, DNA, you add these enzymes to it, it amplifies that. And depending on the number of cycles that you use, 
the more cycles you do, the more it amplifies. And so if you just keep amplifying with high cycle numbers, um, then you can really almost find that DNA almost anywhere in a peach or something like that. And so <clears throat> it then this, uh, makes the test less accurate. And so a lot of critics are saying that the CDC and the WHO came out with statements that says lower the number of cycles. They did not say that. What they've done was they've reiterated to all the people who are doing testing to follow the manufacturer's recommendations. Because what they found was some companies, some lab companies were arbitrarily just using certain cycle numbers and, and may not necessarily have been following the manufacturer's reds, um, uh, recommendations. They did not make any conclusion as to whether or not that altered the number of positive results either up or down. But in any case, they just reiterated that if we want to have the most accurate results, you have to follow the manufacturer's instructions. Wow, profound. And all of a sudden the numbers go down. That's not, that's not what happened. The numbers went down because people are now, um, people are now wearing the mask. People are recognizing that social distancing is important. 90% of Americans are now wearing masks. When you have leadership saying it's important to wear masks, it's important to socially distance. And then on top of that, you start adding people are getting vaccinated. Yeah, the numbers will by necessity go down, but we still need to be able to test, which is why I believe having that amount of money dedicated toward testing and contact tracing uh, is going to be important. Contact tracing. Why would you say contact tracing when you have so many people who are when you have you know, 1300 new cases a day, you're getting down into the range where you can actually contact trace those people who are uh, doing it. But when you're seven, like 9,000 per day, which is where we were uh, at a, as a seven day running average, uh, maybe a month or two ago, that's a little bit more difficult. When you start getting down to the lower hundreds to, you know, three or 400 people that are infected a day, you can follow, you can find out who those people were. You can call them and say, you need to contact every person that you were in contact with and tell them to isolate. That's the way you get rid of this virus. You can't do it when you're 10,000, but we're getting to the point where that contract tracing money is going to be important. Yeah, it's it's one thing we didn't mention is I think historic or got a historic number of 500,000 losses due to the coronavirus. Um, I think President Biden has some kind of memorial for um, that, that number of, of people. Um, and again, it's not, like you said, it's still there. So I mean, we, we still got to figure out how to alleviate it or get rid of it while trying to vaccine. Because I think people keep forgetting, even with the vaccine, it's not about getting it and you can't then get the virus. No, the vaccine just helps alleviate the fatal symptoms, but you could still get COVID um, even after you've gotten vaccinated and you can still then spread it um, if, you, if you do get it. And so to your point, it's very important that we still are vigilant and doing contact tracing so that we, we can make sure that there's a health and safety um, accountability for the people who, who are you know, going out into the public without a mask or even with a mask. And you need That's money for that. 
Yeah. <laughs> he's proposed and, uh, to do to They say apparently he's... 46 billion. <laughs> <laughs> well, he put he also put money toward um increasing the number of healthcare providers who are actually doing some of these things as well. You have to have the infrastructure in place to trace these things and to test patients uh or to test Americans or citizens, whoever you want to call them. Um and so you need money to yeah. do that. And so you that's, know, that's all I, pork is what they're calling it. Yeah, that, pork. <laughs> right. One thing I thought was what they got thought was interesting was $25 billion for restaurants and bars. And I mean, I, I, I know that they have really been vigilant and, and working because you know they've done delivery services. And if anything, those those have been essential during these times. But it's just interesting that they allotted a Again, what is this? Uh, Twenty-five billion for restaurants what, and bars. What do you mean by interesting? Uh, I, I got a feeling that you're trying to avoid giving your opinion on it, though. Uh, I mean, I guess from my perspective, I don't know if any one industry should be singled out over anything over any other. So, I mean, like like I said, I appreciate that they are giving money to the hospitals because we know that those have become overcrowded. A lot of medical professionals are, forget doctors, but if you talk about certified nursing assistants, you're talking about licensed practical nurses. I mean, professionals that are are more on the lower end in terms of pay, but nonetheless are directly having to work with patients who are either having, have the virus or other medical needs that make them even vulnerable to the virus. I, I do understand that, but restaurants and bars it was just i just kind of i guess from my legal standpoint i'm kind of interesting as to the lobbying that went in <laughs> to ensure that there there was some funding allotted to them and it's going to also just be interesting to see how they're able to get that money like with the application process and what's required to receive that, that assistance i'm a little sympathetic to it and here's the reason why is that um at some point or another if the government is asking you to limit uh, your patronage and how you uh, allow your uh, patrons to come in and, and, and consume your service for the sake of public health, then there should be some remuneration for that somehow or another. Um, otherwise, what will happen is that the restaurants will still remain to be op- remain open, and some of them will do that regardless. And some of them have remained open. Some of and them we'll have not, and will continue to do that regardless. Will not practice social distancing unless it becomes a law. And then, if they make it a law, then the government then has overstepped its bounds, uh, according to a lot of uh, Americans. So you have to walk this so tight. Depends rope. on who you ask. Depends but I mean, but but to, but to me, if that is the reason, I mean, they give the money to gyms. Gyms have to shut down as well. I mean, there were so many industries that had to shut down, not just restaurants and bars. They're, and they're giving it to some of them, the transportation industry, hospitality industry. They're getting, they've got money proposed in there as well for airlines to help prevent layoffs because people have stopped flying. People, they've given some to event spaces. They're uh, event spaces where you're asking them to no longer host large events. And those people are, you have to have some kind of stimulus to it. And so if you're going to bail out Goldman Sachs, at least bail out mom and pop restaurants and bars and mom and pop event centers and the airlines is not mom and pops. But. <laughs> it's not. And, and I wasn't a big fan of the airlines either. Um, 
get get it and, and again maybe this is the skepticism part of me but to some degree it's like when when we did bail out the big banks back during obama's time and we still saw it was largely the ceos and the the top ranked um employees that received bonuses and, and a plethora of money whereas the layoffs still happened and, and it's part of that trickle-down economics thing that, that people argue, oh, you give the money to the employer so that they will keep their employees. And I just don't think that's that, I don't think that's how it works because it doesn't work that way. You can, <laughs> I mean, you, you can keep giving tax breaks to companies and I understand it does bring a lot of revenue to the city, but it will not guarantee that you're going to avoid layoffs. Well, here's the deal. So. Uh, even with the um, with the airlines, those are almost um, essential services. And if almost your airlines almost, but but the point is <laughs> is, is that a, a huge portion of our GDP uh, or a large portion of our GDP is is uh, travel and tourism. Maybe not a large portion. I think it's probably something like three percent. So we're not the Dominican Republic here. <laughs> not. <laughs> but if you still if you still look at travel and tourism being three percent of our GDP, what's I don't know what the GDP is basically, but um that's that's actually one industry. That's a large percentage. Uh that's a lot of money that you bring into. And once those airlines close, it's kind of hard to uh, open those things back up. Same thing with with restaurants and and uh, hospitality. All of those things are uh, once they're closed. Then once everything finally opens back up, let's say for example in October 2021, that um, the pandemic is under pretty good control in the U.S. and people start opening back up. Well, you've laid off all of your employees. Your businesses have gone under because all they needed was a couple of extra months, an extra six months of, of, of help, and then they would have stayed open. And then you'd be able to more quickly recover. Now, granted, there would be an opportunity for people who have money to come in and, and capitalize off of that, but you don't want to. That's only going to serve the purpose of making the rich richer if they already have an opportunity to swoop in after all of the other prices, you know, buy low, sell high and everything. And then they'll start it all over and have their own monopolies. Imagine the stuff that uh, somebody like Jeff Bezos can do at this point with all of the restaurant chains that are closing and, um, you know, mom and pop shops, there's a lot of opportunity for somebody with money to come in and dominate and become a monopoly in this country. And so anything that the governor government can do to help uh, quell that potential, I think it's is reasonable. Um, if you don't think Amazon has not already created a monopoly, I don't, I don't know where you've been. <laughs> well, <laughs> but... I mean, more monopolies. They got Boardwalk and Park Place, you know, but they're trying to get Illinois, Atlantic, Ventnor. <laughs> yes, well, one other thing... Both. One other thing is there's something called pandemic supplies and, and that's going 10 billion towards that. Um, so again, all those people that are saying, hey, there's nothing going to actually COVID, that's another uh, alloc allocated amount that's going, that's related to, directly related to the virus um, pandemic supplies. Um, but one of the things that I, I know you said briefly, but I wanna make sure that we talk is, is the $400 a week for unemployment benefits um, that are going to the state. Now, again, you know, just for our viewers, unemployment benefits are governed by the state. So again, you know, while the federal government is giving money to the states 
to extend their unemployment benefits. Again, it's just something that the state has to decide um, in terms of distribution. But nonetheless, I'm kind of curious. Well, one, like you said, it, it's up from the last unemployment, which was 300. Um, but I am kind of curious as to how long that's going to last and if there will be a drop in unemployment, because as you, as well, not you, as some Republicans argued with the last time as it related to unemployment benefits was, oh, well, people are now making more off benefits than they did when they were employed. And so then why, you know, why would someone remain employed at, at a job that in which they can better get benefits if they, if they aren't employed? Um, well, for, and first and foremost, I mean, you have to be unemployed through no fault of your own. So if you don't, I don't want anyone to voluntarily quit in hopes that they <laughs> can make more off unemployment benefits than, than otherwise. But it is a testament, again, to the minimum wage problem. And we know that this um, bill has requested a $15 uh, minimum wage increase, and it would be 15 over time. So it wouldn't be the minimum passed, the minimum wage increases to fifteen dollars. That it would was be dropped. The, <laughs> it would be uh, over time. The within four years, the minimum wage would increase to fifteen dollars. Um, now, this is a, a little bit of a legal note. Um, one of the reasons why a lot of people are saying, "Oh, the the relief will pass without the minimum wage," is because in order to do the majority vote, you have to do something called a reconciliation. And, and, and this is the majority vote in the, in the Senate. And that means that you can get a majority vote if the bill is related to taxes or spending. And so the argument is, and I think they've kind of already ruled that the minimum wage would not be something that could be considered reconciliation for a majority vote. And therefore they'd have to get a 60% vote. And, and unfortunately the Senate or at least Democrats, Democratic Congress, they don't, they don't have that. Um, within the Senate, they'll need at least 10 Republicans to sign, on, sign off on it. But um, it, it, in order to do it for the taxes and spending, they look at minimum wage as, well, that's something that's not, gonna, that's not related to taxes and spending of the federal government. But they're also saying, hey, it was meant to be a short-term thing, whereas minimum wage, if you increase it, that will forever be the law unless someone comes in and repeals it. So... That is where we are. But what do you think? You think they should pass the $15 minimum wage or do you think that they should even have put it in the bill? I think that this is probably the wrong time to pass a $15 <laughs> uh, minimum wage. I do think that the minimum wage needs to be raised. Um, <clears throat> I think his plan was to make sure that it was raised by uh, to $15 by 2025. Um, I don't know what next four years will hold. Uh, neither do they. Uh, but so I'm a little hesitant to put into law something today that will uh, carry out and have an effect four years from now. For all we know, it could be even worse three or four years from now. I don't know what 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 the next pandemic will look like. So I think right now when the economy is suffering and small businesses in particular are already struggling that to increase their overhead by increasing their payroll to $15 an hour minimum, I think that could be devastated. You know, I think I've, I've made this comment before is that if somebody's in my office now making $15 an hour, um, then when $15 an hour become the minimum, 
they're not going to expect to stay at $15 an hour. They're going to want to be at $21 per hour. And that's just one employee making for an extra $4 an hour uh, for, or maybe even higher, making an extra $4 an hour, multiply that by 10 to 12 people. That's an extra $40, $50 an hour uh, that I now have to generate. And we don't have increases in our reimbursement from, I'm just speaking from a, as a medical professional, I don't have limitless earning potential right now. I don't know where that money would come from. I get paid the same amount each time a patient comes into the office from United Healthcare or from Aetna. They're going to pay me the same amount each time they come in. You raise my uh, payroll by $40 an hour, basically, then and have not raised my compensation accordingly. I'm going on. I'm going under. I'm out of business at that point. So I think this is probably the wrong time to do that. Um, I do think that it would be nice to raise the minimum wage to something a little bit more palatable. Um, $11, $12 an hour might be a little bit more, but I don't think that it should be part of this package necessarily. I think it does need to be something separate. I don't know if there's ever going to be a right time to raise the minimum wage because those to me the arguments you just made are always going to be arguments against raising the minimum wage and what you're really going to have to do is you and your fellow medical medical professionals are going to have to lobby there's the congress to get insurance <laughs> to increase yeah. or to get uh you know well, all that change they can't but do because, that because they'll keep us too busy seeing patients <laughs> just trying to make ends meet so we can't all time for lobbying but we know what Jeff Bezos is going to do is either he decreases his salary or he increases the cost of goods on Amazon. And that's what essentially a lot of these companies are going to do right. is they're going to put that extra cost onto the consumer. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it depending on how you fall, if that's a good thing, I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing, to be honest, because, again, what they're banking on with that $1,400 um, um, payout that they're giving everyone is that you put it back into the economy. They're not hoping you go save it somewhere and never spend it. And so to some degree, that's what they're also banking on with the increase of the minimum wage that people will just put it right back into the economy. It will enable people who don't work in minimum wage to then do more spending, right? Uh, But, you know, I know we're we're coming short on time. I do want to, I know we got through a lot of it. We'll probably talk some more about it. Again, this is just legislation that's passed in the House. So it still has to go to the Senate. Apparently, I read this morning that a lot of Senate Republicans will not be participating in the vote <laughs> for, for this legislation because they prefer to go to CPAC, although they told people of Congress that it was because of the pandemic and they didn't feel it was in their best health interest to attend. But we will, I'm sure, see all of them at CPAC making various speeches to bow down to the golden cow, right? Mm, no doubt. No <laughs> doubt. Hey, you know, speaking of which, I, there is one thing that I, I do want to point out and about the package in our last couple of minutes here. And that is, I want to go back to this comment that uh, Representative Bobert made. And she said only 9% of it goes toward public health. Now, her, her tweet was that it goes toward public health. Uh, people extrapolated that when they retweeted it and reposted it and everything that says actually go to COVID relief. Uh, when you start looking at public health, there's much more than just saying, okay, well, we're going to get more testing and we're going to uh, provide some funding for vaccines and vaccine delivery administration. 
more than just that, because public health also in, includes the, uh, the, the amount of money that's being uh, attributed to school systems to help improve their ventilation system. If you got poor ventilation systems within schools and you got those kids going back in, it becomes a public health issue. Uh, because you've now got these children in this environment who's spreading um, germs with an inadequate ventilation system. Uh, it becomes a public health issue because when, um, if you start looking at some of the money that he is allocating toward uh, the Affordable Care Act and lowering the premiums, because now you've got people who are uninsured because they have been laid off from their jobs or maybe their jobs have had de uh, decreases in their revenue and can no longer afford to pay for health insurance. So now you got more uninsured Americans. Um, that becomes a public health issue when you, when you have people who have no insurance. And so he's allocating some money to help with that as well. Um, the other issue, there was another benefit that I was thinking, oh, uh, homelessness. He's got some money in there for relief, uh, rent relief for people who are in jeopardy of being kicked out of their homes. That can eventually become a public health issue in and of itself uh, for homelessness and children who are now out and have no have no shelter and who have no food. These are public health issues. They may not be directly related to the COVID, but these are all consequences of this pandemic that need to be addressed. And and I I, I take offense to the fact that uh, to people who call some of those things pork. That means that those people who call it pork just have not been impacted enough by this pandemic. Uh, otherwise, they would be calling it, you know, much needed relief. And there are a lot of people out there who are looking for it. Well, let's be real. They're calling it pork because of Joe Biden being the one that put it out there. Had it been Donald Trump, then it would have been, oh, this is the steak, the potatoes, <laughs> everything. <laughs> they would they would have called it differently. It's just it's just about who actually introduced the bill and who's then signing off on the bill, which is unfortunate. I said, if this is pork. I know the Seventh-day Adventists and Muslims don't eat pork, but I'll say slap me some bacon because I will take it. Even the states, uh, I know some of the big problems that the Republicans have with it is uh, some of the state relief fundings. These states have gone out and um, some of them are on the verge of bankruptcy because they, they're not generating the revenue that they needed to. Nashville and uh, Tennessee, they, they made a, a Davidson County here. The way that they're making up for their lost revenue, it's a huge tourism industry, has been hugely impacted uh, by COVID. And so the city has not had as much revenue as it ordinarily generates. Guess where they're going to get it from? People like us who own real estate. Um, and so we've seen a 34% increase in our real estate taxes just over this past year. And it's due tomorrow, the 28th, we have to pay these taxes. And so I'm a little bitter right now. I was going to say, now who's venting now here? I'm venting a little <laughs> bit. But this is all in the context of the COVID relief bill. I do think that cities, states, and uh, local governments do need some relief. And people who uh, claim that the federal government shouldn't be bailing them out, I will call their attention to Texas last week. <laughs> uh, because Texas made some very bad decisions on their own 
Yet still, when those things came back to harm its citizens and who are also citizens of the United States, the federal government steps in and helps in that regard. That's the same situation here. Some of those things are beyond the control of those democratic governors and mayors and the citizens should not have to necessarily suffer because of it. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely different from hurricane relief versus again, to, to some degree, the state of Texas put themselves in this bad situation because they refused to utilize or use certain forms of gas um, be, because whatever reason, it was just not the best. And, and it's interesting that a lot of people have been blaming it on Alexandra um, Cortez and saying, oh, it's your Green New Deal as to why this happened. No, it's not. <laughs> you know, first of all, that didn't pass. But secondly, and perhaps most importantly, Texas is its own state. They make that own their own decision on, on that. And so, you know, I'm definitely glad that you pointed that out. Yeah. And they're on their own power grid. The, the reason why they are not, did not have any backups was because they chose to be on a power grid by themselves. They didn't want to be part of the Eastern or the Western power grid of the United States. And so they're an island unto themselves. And, and the reason why they did that was because they didn't want to submit to federal regulations. If, if their power lines crossed states, they would have had to submit to federal regulations. They didn't want to do that. It was going to be too costly for them. They had been forewarned that uh, for since 1989, I think it's something like that, for 32 years or however long that was, um, that you know a cold snap like this will be devastating for them. It happened, I think, in 89 and it happened again in 2011 and they still did not make the necessary adjustments to winterize their equipment. That's a failure of the local and state leadership. And you say that failure state and local governments who fail in leadership should not get a bailout from the federal government, then Texas shouldn't have gotten one. That's not my belief. That was your argument as a conservative, as a Republican. So live by your own argument. You can't do it when it hurts you. It's okay for it when you see it that it hurts somebody else and hurts a Democrat, but not when it hurts your all. Your, your beloved Republicans, so. Well, it's gonna be interesting. I don't think that they're going to, I don't, I still don't think they're gonna change yeah. <laughs> even after all this, but. Do you but think hey, it's gonna pass the Senate? Do you think this COVID relief bill will pass the Senate? It, I mean, yeah, that's, they have the majority to pass. So yeah, I mean, again, I, the, obviously the minimum wage won't be there, but I do think they have the majority to pass in the Senate. There were two, two uh, House Democrats who broke with the ranks and voted against it. And uh, none of the Republicans voted for it. And so uh, right now they've got uh, some some concern about two, who is it, Cinema and um, Manchin, I think, are the two Senate Democrats who are now on the fence about whether or not they'll vote for this. And if they lose those two votes and the Republicans stand stand their ground, like Mitch McConnell always I mean, the Republicans will, assuming they show up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what's, what's your prediction here? Are you, are you thinking it's not going to pass? Well, I think it's got a much better chance at passing now that the minimum wage piece is out. And so I do think that uh, Joe Biden is going to be able to rally the troops. And um, who's this new chief of staff? Uh, I forget what the chief of staff's name is, but they say that he's probably uh, he's a pretty cunning kind of guy. And 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 will likely bring those people into line as well. So we'll see what happens. 
Well, in the meantime, thank you so much guys for tuning in to the Roundtable Consult. Please join us again next Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. And if you enjoyed listening to my voice so much that you just want to hear it once again, you can catch us on your favorite podcast station or you can watch us on Star Radio and where we will do a recording of audio. Once again, thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to like and as well as comment because we love to hear your views and we will see you next Saturday. This has been another episode of the Roundtable Console. We invite you to join us twice weekly on Facebook Live, Tuesday, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, 8 p.m. Eastern, and again on Saturday, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, 11 a.m. Eastern. That's facebook.com forward slash Roundtable Console with your hosts, Attorney Sonia Madison and Dr. Mark Williams.